The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, good morning, everyone. Thank you all so much for coming this morning. Sorry about the delay. We're behind on piano because we're behind on the road because I guess they weren't letting people through again, and so that's unfortunate, but... Um, I think we're sorted out over there, so hopefully we can get sorted out here in just a moment. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll begin our second lesson on church membership. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for um, the opportunity we have to open your word this morning and to learn and talk about your church and, uh, Lord, how you designed the church and how the church is supposed to function. And, Lord, I thank you that we have the word of God to guide us and as we've seen around the world, um, there are just innumerable ways that mankind can think to worship. But there's only one way, Lord, that you've called us to um, through your church. And so I pray that you would help us this morning to um, uh, think deeply on the importance of the church, on the importance of our role that we play in it. And uh, I pray that your word speaks clearly um, and that you would just bless us this morning. Um, with truth. And we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good to see all you here for a topic like this one. I think if you were to decide on a topic that you were hoping to get the most number of people out for the first Sunday school in a while, the first choice probably wouldn't be church membership, right? It would be probably something like, um, here's a class that will answer the most difficult questions that you all have, right? That'd be a a fun class to attend. Um, I would like to see somebody try to do that. Whereas church membership, I think, is something that we all feel like we kind of know what it's all about. And I don't know that that's the case. I think there's a lot to church membership that we kind of miss or we don't think much about. And so I think it's an incredibly important and helpful thing. Um, The more I look at the Word of God and the more I see God's plan for His people, the more I see the importance of the local church. And that the discipleship of God's people has to happen in the context of local church. And so the subjects we're going to be addressing over the next little while is the institution of the church, how it was instituted and what it is, um, the purpose of the church, the importance of membership, and maybe give a little bit of a biblical defense for membership. And then we'll define what membership is and hopefully bring clarity to what it is and what it is not. I think there's probably a lot of misconceptions out there about membership because of just the way we think about what membership is in our day. We're going to talk about roles and responsibilities in the church. We're going to talk about discipleship and how that happens in a church context, uh, church discipline, how that's supposed to happen and what that's for. Um, And then we're going to discuss some common questions, misconceptions, and objections to church membership. So that's what I'm hopefully going to cover the next four weeks. And then I think Pastor Dressler will come up and correct everything that I said that was wrong. (laughs) All right. So he's he's taking really close notes on that. Um, so today's lesson will be footings and foundations. Footings and foundations. Uh, my parents are building a log house right now, and I, I know just from that process, and, and anybody that's been ever working in building, you know that the most important part of the process is get the, to get the foundation right, right. The foundation has to be level, it has to be square, it has to be right. And if it's not right, there's just, there's just nothing you can do. Right? Every single person that comes to build on the wrong foundation, every, every block you set is going to be out, it's going to be wrong. And so footings and foundations aren't often exciting and extravagant and beautiful, but they are absolutely essential. 
And so what I want to do is set the foundation for church membership, and we'll do that originally by speaking about the church. I think one of the problems that we have when we just go to the Bible directly for church membership before laying the foundation of the church is that um, we're, we're kind of talking about aspects of a building without ever looking at the, the ground floor, without ever looking at the purpose of the thing that we're building on. And so if you go straight to the Bible and you say, okay, where does it say join a local church? Um, you're going to have a hard time defining that, that chapter and verse. But if you start at the foundation and you say, this is what the church is for, this was God's design for the church, and so how does me being a part of that thing work? I think that's where we get a, a really true picture of what church membership should be. And so the goal is to view the church as God's designed institution and primary method of discipling believers. This is God's design. This was his plan for your growth, for your discipleship. We will gain an understanding of what local church membership looked like in the first century, and then we'll view church membership as an aspect of God's plan for your growth today. Okay, so how does it translate from what it was in the first century and then what it is today and for us? And so what I want to start with is just the foundation of the church. Now, I, I speak um, fairly quickly, and sometimes I forget to break for questions and that kind of thing. So what I want you to do is I really do want feedback. And Pastor Dresser is very good at getting people to give feedback. And I'm not very good at it. And I wish I was better. So anytime you have a question or a thought or a comment, stick up your hand. If I don't see it, then just shout out and, and we'll take the thoughts and comments. Because the truth is, if you are thinking through this and you're bringing up questions that I've missed, then it's going to be better for everybody. Okay, so please, please ask questions, make comments as we go. So the foundation of the church, the first point is the church was instituted by Christ. That is important for us to get. That the one, if we call ourselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, it is essential to know that the church was his plan. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are against organized religion and they just view church as another man-made organized institution, but that's actually not the case. If you're a Christian and you're trying to be a follower of Christ, you need to recognize that the church was Jesus' plan in the first place. In Matthew 16, 18, he said, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, for Peter and the disciples, they really didn't have an understanding of exactly what that would be and what that would look like and what he was telling them in that point. But, but Christ is foreshadowing all that's to come. That this church that he's going to build is going to be the most essential part in the discipleship of all of his followers from this, from this point on. In Matthew 18, verse 17, speaking about forgiveness and how we're supposed to reconcile to one another and deal with one another as followers of God, Jesus said, and if he shall neglect to hear them, so, he's, so this is the church dis discipline aspect, and if you have a person that is neglecting to hear one person and then you bring a couple people to them and they neglect to hear that person, those people, then you tell it to the church. Now that, that might seem strange to them because they're going, okay, exactly what is this church? What is this? The word is ecclesia, which means called out assembly. And so they're thinking, tell it to the called out assembly. What, what is that? But Christ has a plan and he's giving instructions for how his church is going to run. And, and when we talk about church with the idea of church membership in mind and the importance of church membership in mind, then everything Jesus says here makes sense. And if we talk about the church as just like a, a random group of people that gather whenever they want to, and then it's like, tell it to the church. Who's, who's the church? Who knows who's going to be there on Sunday? What, like, 
there's, there's really not a group of people that are responsible for carrying out that command without church membership. So that's the institution of the church, but we, we kind of follow the story along. We find that prior to Christ's ascension into heaven, he gives his great promise. Okay, And he's given this before. He reiterates the fact in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. And in verse 5, he says that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he reminds them that the Holy Ghost is coming, and he tells them that they're not to do anything else until the Holy Ghost comes. They should just sit in the room on their thumbs and wait, because there's no point of us trying anything without the power of the Holy Ghost. And so they, they are given this promise, and then they're given the commission that goes along with the promise. In Acts chapter 1, eight, verse 8, But you shall receive power after you've, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So he gives them the power, and then he gives them the command. The Holy Ghost will come upon you, and this is what you will do. And, and we know from other scriptures that the Great Commission included teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So there's discipleship there. There's people growing together. And then he ascends into heaven. And 10 days later, the Spirit comes at Pentecost. So for 10 days, they wait for the Spirit to come. The Spirit comes. And and that day, they get up and they preach. But the most significant thing isn't just the fact that 3,000 people made a, a conversion to Christ and then went and lived their lives however they wanted to. The the writer of Acts, Luke, is very particular to tell us that they were saved, they were baptized, and they were added to the church. And then the rest of that chapter is about what they did as this new called out assembly, this new group of people that are added to the church. And so this is significant because Jesus says, he talks about the fact that he's going to institute a church. He gives some instructions for what the church is going to look like. He tells them that they're going to have power for a great commission that he's going to give them. And as soon as they go out, they get the power to go do the great commission, the church begins. So those things all happen simultaneously. It's not that this power functions separately from the local church. As soon as the power is given and as soon as the commission begins to, to be carried out, the local church is there. And from that point on, it's through the local church that that commission is carried out. And so some people say, well, was a great commission given to people? Was it given to the disciples or was it given to the church? And I don't know that you can properly answer that question, right? Because who are the church supposed to be? The church is believers. It's the called out assembly. It's disciples of Christ. And so the great commission is given to disciples and it's given to the church. And, and, the, the kind of where we come to that is if you're a person who says, I'm going to follow Christ and be a disciple of Christ, but I don't want the church, you've missed a huge part of God's plan for the carrying out of the Great Commission. We don't do it on our own on an island. We do this as a community. So that is the order of events as the church begins. And I think that's just already speaking to the importance of the church. And so now what I want to do is I want to take a journey back 2,000 years ago and I want to think about why church membership was necessary and vital for the first century church. Okay, so I want to give you a little bit of the historical or um, social background for these people living this time. So 2,000 years ago, they had a culture of interdependence. 
The Jews depended upon one another. So in Jerusalem, where the church started, you understand their mindset at the time, they had the Roman government come and take control of their land. And then the Roman government sets up Herod as their king and ultimately handpicks the people who will be in charge of their temple. The, the Sanhedrin was mostly chosen by the Roman government or the Sadducees, the, the ones that were really in control of the temple. And so they have their hand in, they're in charge of the politics and they have their hand even in their religion. And so you have this group of people that are oppressed and they're paying their taxes to the people who are ultimately their slave owners. And, and, and these people are trying desperately to maintain their identity. Okay? They were the called out people of God. They were God's chosen people. And so they're doing everything they can to keep that going and maintain that, that kind of culture and that lifestyle. And, and what they did is they just depended completely on one another. It was kind of like a Jews against the world mentality. And so for them, growing up during this time, there wasn't this kind of independence where I'm, I'm, we're all going to be whoever we want to be and I can you know, go my own path. It was, it was a, we're the people of God. Let's help each other. Let's strive together. Let's follow leadership. Um, it, it was a culture of submission where people didn't think it, that it was this awful, terrible thing to submit to authority above them. All right? That was just a normal part of their life. Children, they understood, and they were taught from a young age, that they had to submit to their parents. And women submitted to their husbands. And all of this happened. Everybody submitted to the authority of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. You had elders, people in the synagogue that you would submit to. So submission was a normal thing. They were used to submitting to the Roman government around them. So, so they had this culture of submission, and they had this culture of interdependence. Okay? They would go to work and whatever, I mean, I can't just go to work and make all the money I need to go buy out everything, everything I want. I, I depend on my neighbors to help me out. I depend on, I go to the same people all the time to trade and barter and do all those kinds of things. And so it was, I just want you to understand that this culture, every, everything about their life was ingrained in these relationships that they had. The relationships with their boss, who was most likely a family member. Okay? The relationships with the people that they traded with that they had done so their whole lives. When they grew up, they didn't grow up with all of these connections with people all around the world, right? When they grew up, they grew up just knowing the people around them and likely they would stay in that community, in that village for their entire lives. There wasn't the same kind of everybody moving around and your kids always leave you when they go to school kind of thing. And so you'd, you could potentially be in the same village for your entire life and that was okay because it was all about relationships. I, I think we kind of understand that in our society with social media, as much as it allows us to, to contact people maybe more often and more conveniently, it does remove some of the, the real face-to-face -face relationships that we have. And so they didn't have all that. And so now you have these early believers who step out, put their faith in Christ, contrary to everything the Jewish community around them, expects and wants them to do. And, and when we follow what happened after Pentecost, I mean, even at Pentecost, the disciples, the apostles are ridiculed for what they're saying. You move very quickly along that and the very, I mean, they go into the temple, they heal somebody and they're thrown in jail and then warned never to speak about Christ again. 
And then soon after that, they're, they're thrown in jail again, all, all of the apostles there, because they're preaching in the temple, and they're beaten, and then they're warned, and they're let go. And soon after that, they take one of the leaders of the church, one of the deacons, his name was Stephen, and just this angry Jewish mob kills Stephen. And soon after that, it's now the, the political ruler, the, uh, it was Herod, who takes James, one of the apostles, one of the, the head leaders of the church, and kills James, and he does it now just to appease the Jews, to please them, to, to have them like him more. And so, as we follow the church, immediately persecution breaks out, and it escalates as it goes. It goes from just smaller things to really angry people doing something terrible to organized persecution to please a, a big group of people. And so persecution was going to happen, and, and sometimes we see that, we so, say, oh yeah, there's a few people who are persecuted, but we don't understand that, that that's just the tip of that iceberg. Those are the stories that make the papers. But everybody else, they're, they're experiencing their own kind of persecution. They're experiencing the isolation of the community that they've grown up in. Okay? Their identity was so Jewish, and, and, and their, their bonds were so ingrained in their religion, you couldn't separate these things. And so all of a sudden, these people walk, walk, from other people's perspective, walk away from what they've always believed, and from their perspective, walk away from the God of the Old Testament, and they're isolated. They're set aside. You lose your jobs. You lose the ability to barter with the people that you've always bartered with, right? Your neighbors don't look at you anymore. Your family is, is ashamed of you. All of this goes on for this early church. And so for them, why was the church absolutely necessary. It was necessary because now they needed a group of people who would love them and support them and help them get through their difficult times and maybe help them eat when they had no food, when they couldn't, didn't have their job. They, they needed the church. The church was essential. And so this community stepped in and, and God had this plan to step in and take care of all of these needs that these people would would have. And I say that all because we, I want to, to look at what it was then, because I think seeing what it was then, I mean, we, we look at verses and they say things like, this one man sell, sold everything he had and, distri- and the money was given to the apostles and they distributed to the saints as they had need. All of that makes a lot of sense when you understand what they were going through, right? And, and what part of our problem is, is that our culture is so different from theirs and our journey into leaving what we believed before and becoming a Christian has a very different impact on people around us now. And so we live in a culture of independence, right? Our our culture is, I get to do whatever I want to do. I have the right to pursue my dreams and my goals and and whatever they are. Um, You can't tell me how I should be. Uh, I was born this way, right? That's kind of the mantra, Okay? Nobody is going to be my authority. I am not going to submit because somehow submission equals I am of less value. Which certainly isn't true according to the Word of God. But that's, that, that's what our culture tells us constantly. And so now we're told, and, and we look at the Bible and we see this happen, we think that's kind of strange. I'm glad that church isn't weird like that anymore. I mean, for them it wasn't weird. For them it was necessary and essential. And we don't realize that part of the reason that... that we feel about church membership the way we feel about the reason we feel that way about it is because we live in a culture that is telling us that everything about church membership interdependence 
Okay, depending on one another, being open and accountable and, and honest and sharing, all of those things, that this, this openness is contrary to our culture. And this idea of, of being willing to submit to one another, being willing to serve one another, being, coming and being a part of something because you're going to serve there and give. And that, that whole thing just grades against what we think is right, what, we, what, we're, what we're trained to believe. And so I hope... Maybe that gives you a little bit of a picture of what it was before and why we have difficulty with it nowadays. Um, I believe that church membership is vital today. A lot of people would say, yeah, well, I've got my Bible. Uh, I-, I can read and study on my own. I can pray on my own. A lot of people would say, um, I like to attend many different churches. I like to, to go to each and sample and, and get you know the, the good things out of each of them. And a lot of people would say, I don't see how it makes a difference whether I'm a member or not. I feel like I can do everything that I can do not being a member, that I can do being a member. So really, there's no difference. And I believe that the reasons for all these objections is just a wrong understanding of church membership. We don't understand the role of the church. We don't understand our need for spiritual authority and guidance. That need for accountability, that's God's plan, that we're accountable to each other, and that there's, there's biblical qualified leadership in place and we don't understand the importance of of making a covenant with people of making that promise of saying i i stand before you and i say this is what i'm going to do and having those people say okay we're going to we're going to do this with you we promise to help you you promise to help us we we will sacrifice and serve one another we don't understand god's design of a community that you can grow and learn and serve and give and receive and share and partake and be encouraged and be rebuked and be exhorted and be tested and be stretched. We just don't understand that, that that's God's design. And so, yes, you've got your Bible. And yes, it could be fun. I, you know what? I think it's really a neat thing to be able to visit every church in Chatham and just be there for a service and see what they do cool and what they do well and see what their preacher's like and I mean, that'd be a fun thing to do, wouldn't it? And so I, I get learning from each, but, but that doesn't do any of those other things. It doesn't make this any kind of commitment, any kind of accountability to each other. So it does make a difference whether you're a church member or not. And so what is membership? Hey, just real quick, as you're talking, I was thinking about the, the problems that we have, because I think we've all been sort of... Um, condition, even in our world today with this younger generation, that we actually think a text or a quick Snapchat is a relationship, mm-hmm. or we sit around a table and, and everyone's checking their phone. Yeah. And so I think the battle that we really have with all of us is we've become conditioned to think that that's true relationship, um, and it's not. And yeah. so it transfers to the church, and, and we don't understand that the only way to be transformed in the image of Christ is life on life. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, we all battle with that, and it's something we have to be aware of. Especially as we're raising kids, we think mm-hmm. this iPhone is really a relationship, or their Facebook post is reality, yeah. and we get sucked in that too. And it's it's not God's plan and design. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, this <laughs> this whole thing is essential for you guys. I think uh, I believe church membership is, is essential for your growth, but like most of us, we remember a time when like phone calls and and face to face interaction was more normal. And the younger generation, I mean, it, it sounds like, oh, yeah, those kids. But, like, they're so ingrained in, like, most of their interaction with people happens on a screen. 
And, and if we don't, as a church, step up and make these relationships vital in our lives and show them how important they are, they're, they're not going to get it. It, it. I mean, we do have a responsibility here, right? That's, that, is, that is why church membership is so important. Because we need people that will say, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life so that it benefits these kids, even though they're not mine, even though, right? Because it's serving and sacrificing for one another. So, absolutely. Um, those relationships are important. And, and I'd be the first to say, say that my natural inclination isn't always to be the most open person. But that's wrong. I mean, that's, it's, it's wrong for me to think that I'm supposed to live my entire life inside myself, closed, not being accountable, not sharing. No, that's just not what I was created to do, that, not the way that God's planning for me to grow. So, what is church membership? Well, I want to I give a, a, a contrast between club membership and church membership because I hope that will help us to understand this a little bit. Um, I thought very quickly of the things that I am or have been a membership of. And the first four that came to my mind were, I have a Costco membership. Had that for a number of years. I have a, I've had, <laughs> I don't have, I, I've had a gym membership. Okay. <laughs> I should have a gym membership, but I don't. <laughs> um, I, I used to have a golf membership. I think that was my favorite of this bunch so far. Uh, and then I have a church membership. Okay, and so those four things, put them together, and you say, okay, Costco membership, what, how, how does that whole thing work? Well, I pay a little bit of money, and then I can shop in a store where hopefully I can save the money that I paid later on. The real benefit of Costco memberships, if you don't know this, is that they sell a hot dog and a pop for $1.50. You can feed your whole family for like five bucks. The hot dogs are this big, all right? <laughs> so... Um, so I, I pay because I hope that it's going to benefit me ultimately because it's a fun little trip to go on and sometimes maybe hopefully I save a little bit of money. Um, gym membership, I don't know why we pay for that. <laughs> um, but we pay to use the facilities, right? And we hope that the classes are good and we, we contrast different memberships and we say, okay, which membership will give me the best um, bang for my buck? And, and so we buy gym memberships with the hopes that we're going to use them and then we don't use them. Um, some of us do. Some of you do. Then we have golf memberships. Now, golf membership, I mean, for me as a kid, I took advantage of that golf membership. I could go there and I could play around a golf anytime I wanted to, multiple times in a day if I wanted to. I could, I could go to the driving range and I could hit balls. When I was a kid, they had this junior membership that was fairly inexpensive and I was there all the time. And so I get, you, you get a golf membership and you, you want the greens to be nice, you want people to take care of it because you want to be able to play and enjoy yourself. And then you have church membership, and so church membership is a place where you, sh- you, know, you shop around, you see which church gives you the best thing, and then which one is going to you know, get you. And maybe you have to pay a little bit of dues every once in a while, but it's great because these people are going to be feeding you and helping you, and every time you need anything, they're just, they're just there for you, right? No. No, that's how we think about church membership sometimes, and we don't even do it on purpose. But, but that's not the same thing. Club membership where I pay a little bit because there's benefits for me is not the same thing as church membership. Because, first of all, club membership is optional, right? I don't have to be a part of any of those clubs. But I'd say as a believer, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to step into his institution that he made for your growth. You're going to accept his bride and be a part of, be a part of that. And then you're going to go there with the idea that I'm going to join so that I can serve and love and care for and give and sacrifice and all of those things. And thank the Lord when I'm messing up, somebody's going to 
pat me on the shoulder and say, hey, brother, sister, come on back. Okay, this is what you need to be doing. Um, and, and yes, they're, they're benefits. They're, they're absolutely, people will encourage you and help you when you're in need and all of those things. But it's not this idea of like, I'm going to pay my dues and get everything that's coming to me. Right? It's this covenant, this promise, this commitment that you step into that doesn't say, I'm going to do, I'm going to do my membership thing well, I'll pay my dues if. It's a, I, I'm covenanting, I'm promising with your, this group of people that we will love the Lord and push each other to become more like Christ. And so, that is what I believe true membership is. It might better resemble national membership, okay, citizenship. You think about citizenship, um, as a citizen of your country, you're placed by God under the authority of the civil government. Okay, so we realize that God has given the government authority. That's not, not just something that they made up. God actually instituted the idea of having governments, and then he tells us, um, for example, in 1 Peter 2.17, to honor the king. So we're supposed to honor the, the person in charge of the, the government. Um, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. The idea of powers there is authorities. So the government, the governmental authorities in your life are, are ordained of God. And then in verse 7 of chapter 13, it says, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So, as a member, as a citizen of Canada, I'm supposed to honor my king. I'm supposed to give, be subject to the authorities in place. And I'm supposed to pay my taxes. That's what that, that's what that says. There is that expectation in there. And that's, that's God-ordained, right? And so, it is a little bit like that because I think we understand that because we're a citizen, we do have certain responsibilities and certain duties. God has given the government certain powers, and, and so that for us, we have the duty to, to give honor, maybe the duty to defend if necessary, the duty to obey the civil laws. Those are duties that we have because of the government that God put in place, the authority God put in place. But God does not give the government authority in your spiritual life. And so, so we don't ask the question, well, is, is the church in authority over the government or is the government in authority over the church? The answer is no. God gives the government authority in this sphere, the sphere of making and keeping laws of defense and, and all those things. And God gives the government, the, the, the church, the authority in this sphere. And that sphere is the growth of his people, the spiritual lives of God's people. And so the problem with national membership is that there's not this feeling of, of closeness when, like, there, we don't have, I mean, certainly you're a Canadian, and so I, you know, I, I would care more if I heard about your death than somebody else's on the other side of the world. Um, I don't know why that is. We just, it just naturally happens, isn't it? Like, somebody plane crashes in, in Asia, and we find out there are two Canadians on board, and it's like, oh, that's, that's too bad. It's not that the Asians were important. They certainly aren't important. But there is, there is some sense of, like, because you're Canadian, but it's really not very strong. If the two Canadians on board are my mom and dad, then it's, it really impacts me, right? It's my family. And so 
I think the next thing we can say is, yeah, okay, maybe it's a little bit like church uh, uh, national membership because we're in a, th- a, a sphere of authority given by God. But I think it's maybe more similar to a family membership where not only are we just in the country and have certain duties, but we are an, an intrinsic member of that family where we have roles and responsibilities, where us not being there is, I mean, you have a table set for 10 and all of a sudden one's not there. It's, it's a noticeable thing, right? That we have responsibilities to one another, that, that when one person is struggling, then all of them suffer. All of them are affected. That's what families are like. Stan. I'm wondering historically, and I've said this before, that we don't really realize the importance of church membership. About 1550 in Europe and Britain, a bunch of men got them together in different places, all hundreds. Started to look what the New Testament really said about how the church should be set up. And they set up independent Baptists and brethren and other churches throughout. And then in 1650, based on their study of the Bible, some king in England got his head cut off. Mm-hmm. And democracy and parliament arose. And then a hundred years later, based on the church model, government of the people, by the people, for the people, came about, based not on their concept of corporations like Hudson's Bay Company, but on their experience in the church. So the government of the church modeled for the government the way we should interact. And the problem is we're going back in many ways where we do look at them equal. Clubs, Young Men's Christian Association, all the ones built in the 1800s was built on the basis of what they were learning in church, the way they govern themselves, the way their relationship to God. Mm-hmm. And the problem is we diverted away to see church as independent. Everything arises out of the government and the way we interrelate in membership in our individual church. Now, I won't go beyond that, but historically, it's super, super important for the government, for the people, our citizenship, our clubs, everything else, that we get it right mm-hmm in the family and in the church because we're modeling mm-hmm. and hopefully transforming our society through the way we're being transformed into the image of Christ. Yep. Sorry. Yep. No, you know, that's fine. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. The local church is vitally important. And I think it's true that sometimes we just kind of like, okay, we're just going to figure it out here. And we never look back into history and see, you know, how the church has been important for centuries. And okay, so why would we all of a sudden think that that's not important today? So you're right, Stan. We're kind of running out of time, so I'm going to uh, wrap up here. I wanted to leave you just with one quote, um, and I'll pick up where I left off, talking about what church membership is and, and why it's important. C.H. Spurgeon, <laughs> got to end with a quote by C.H. Spurgeon. He said, I know there are some who will say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, but I don't intend to give myself to any church. I say, now why not? And they answer, because I can be just as good a Christian without it. I say, Are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's command as by being obedient. There's a brick. What is the brick made for? It is made to build a house. It is of no use for the brick to tell you that it's just a good a brick while it's kicking about on the ground by itself as it would be as part of a house. Actually, It's a good-for-nothing brick. 
So, you Rolling Stone Christians, I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ has saved you. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury that you do. Okay. Everything Spurgeon said as a kid, but that's, that was a great analogy. And so let's end with that. I think you have about 10 minutes. Get in the auditorium, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.